I was, uh, I'm, I'm a Southern Baptist. Uh, I say that because I'm a Southern Baptist convictionally. Um, I believe like a Southern Baptist believes. If you hand me the Baptist faith and message and you say, Matt, uh, here is the statement of faith. And I, I really don't care which Baptist faith and message you hand me, right? You can hand me the 1925, you can hand me the 1963, you can hand me the 2000, you can hand me the 1963 with the 98 edition. I don't really care. If you hand me a Baptist faith and message, I will read that document. At the end of it, I'll say, I affirm what this says. I'm a Baptist. It's who I am. It's how I believe. It's what I'm convinced of uh, as I read God's word, right? It's just how uh, I, I see the world around me is as a Baptist. And one of the great things about being a Southern Baptist, there are several good things about being a Southern Baptist, right? One of the great things about being a Southern Baptist I'm going to pause here and just say the greatest thing, this is not the point, but the greatest thing about the Southern Baptist is we participate together in this cooperative ministry of sending missionaries around the globe. That's, that's the, the high point of Southern Baptist work. Um, if you don't understand how that works, um, I want to encourage you, if you're, if, you're, if you're a lady here, there's an organization called the, uh, the Women's Missionary Union, the WMU. Uh, it's been a long, long time in Southern Baptist life. Um, and, and that is their entire focus. If you're a man, there used to be something for you, but for some reason, men have given up on missions in Southern Baptist life, and we've turned it over to pastors uh, and, and the ladies. And that's shameful, by the way, lay men, just, just so you know out there. That's shameful. That's on you and on your daddies, okay? I just want you to know. Um, that's who it's on. Um, and that really is. There used to be a brotherhood that was active. It was a real thing. I can kind of remember it from my childhood, but it, but it was dying whenever I was a kid. Um, and so some of you have watched that pass away. But if you're a lady here, uh, I want to encourage you to get involved in that because that is the high work of the Southern Baptist Convention. We pull our money together from churches like this, small churches across the, the really across the globe, but across the United States of America. We pull our money together, and we have the largest missions force on earth serving to let people know about Jesus Christ. And that comes from small churches like this who say, okay, we're going to take... 10 cents from every dollar, and we're going to give this to the mission work that needs to be done. That's, that's the high hope. But, but another thing I love about being a Southern Baptist, just to get back on point here, uh, uh, is that there is a history of great preachers from where I come from. You can go back and you can listen uh, to the Adrian Rogers and the men from yesteryear, and there are some amazingly articulate, wise, uh, compelling speakers. So one of the greatest Southern Baptist preachers of all time was a man named R.G. Lee. Um, R.G. Lee, some of you, if you're old enough, you're like, I know R.G. Lee. And if you're not old enough, you're like, I don't know R.G. Lee. But you can look him up on the, on the YouTube, okay? You can get on there. He's on the YouTube. Uh, he passed away in the 70s. But R.G. Lee was famous for uh, being a, a, an exceptional uh, expositor of God's word. And he was just like an order, right? He had the gift of speech. And so if you listen to his sermons... I mean, it is adjective on adjective on adjective on adjective. Uh, I was listening to one of his sermons last night. It's his most uh, famous sermon. Um, it's called Payday Someday. If you know R.G. Lee, you're like, yes, I know that sermon. But it's a, it's a sermon um, that follows kind of Ahab and Jezebel uh, and how they were prophesied against by Elijah for uh, the crime that they committed against uh, uh, what, Naboth, the Jezreelite, and taking his vineyard. Um, and, and the point of the sermon was there's going to come a day when payday is due. But if you listen to R.G. Lee deliver that message, I mean, it is just amazing. He speaks fast. You know, some people tell me I speak quick when I preach. But if you go back and you listen to R.G. Lee, you're going to thank me for slowing down as much as I do. I mean, it is words on words on words on words, and it's all descriptions. He just draws a picture that you can't help 
but see, right? You can't help but, 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 but picture the characters as if they were right in front of you, right? What a wonderful legacy. But in that sermon, Payday Someday, the main point of that sermon is that God will demand of us uh, an accounting for what we've done. Everything that we've done, and that, that accounting will come someday. You may not be judged today for the crimes that you commit. There are people right now walking among us who are absolutely in <laughs> just crazy guilty of crimes. And they walk about freely. But we as believers in Jesus Christ and understanding the providence and the nature of who God is know that God will judge them appropriately when it's time. There is always a payday appointed for us for what we do. And so we as believers in Jesus Christ need not be seeking for justice for ourselves because we have a justice-seeking God who will do that for us. If you have an hour to burn, by the way, just go and pull up uh, R.G. Lee's sermon payday some way. But it is an hour of rapid fire words. I mean, just a, an avalanche of words for an hour straight, but you will, you will enjoy it. Um, I promise you that. He preached that sermon over a thousand times. That's not a bad gig, by the way. I'm, I'm not going to lie to you, right? <laughs> you're getting this sermon. This sermon that you're going to hear today, you will hear once. Right, this is, this, is, this, is, this is a once in a lifetime moment for you. By the way, you're welcome right, for giving you such a special look into my life. He preached the same sermon a thousand times. So you can imagine by like the 900th time through, it was a pretty, pretty clean delivery. Right? It was pretty smooth um, as he delivered the, the 947th delivery of payday somewhere someday. But, but listen to that sermon. But, but, but I love the idea that God is going to give justice because I have a desire to seek justice for people. Like I have, a, I have a strong justice mind in me, and I have to bring myself back to that God will do the judging. And this is an issue that we deal with in our scripture for today. We're in the book of Malachi, Malachi chapter 2. We're at the very end of Malachi chapter 2. Malachi is the final book in the Old Testament. So if you have your Bible, you open to the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Flip back, just uh, right back into the Old Testament. You'll get to the book of Malachi. It's a short little book right there, the last book in the Old Testament before the arrival of Jesus Christ. And Malachi is writing to a, a world um, that is struggling with trying to figure out how to become faithful to, to, to God again after living in exile, and they're really doing a bad job at it. And so there's a lot of criticisms that he's dealing with, and the, the book is written with uh, these kind of rhetorical questions sometimes where the people speak and give a complaint, and God responds, sorry about that, God responds to the complaint that was given. And here's the complaint that they have in Malachi chapter 2, starting in verse 17. Uh, he says, You have wearied the Lord with your words, but then you say, How have we wearied him? By saying, Everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, Where is the God of justice? Okay, so here's what's going on. Um, the people in that day were looking around at their neighbors and their peers and the countries around them and all the people who were behaving wickedly around them. And they're saying, God is not doing what God is supposed to do. If God was truly what he was supposed to be, if God is the God that we see throughout the entirety of the Old Testament, then there would be justice in judgment given to these people. And because there's not justice and there's not judgment then we just have to assume that either, right, God is delighting in evil 
or God is absent from giving justice. And this is, a, this is logical, right? It makes sense that, that if God was not doing what we expected for him in that moment, that we'd be like, well, either he's not able to do it or he doesn't want to do it. One of those two things has to be the case. And so they're wearying God with their constant complaining. Constant complaining. Some of us are parents in here today, right? We've had kids. Uh, and you know what that means to be wearied by your kids' constant complaining, right? It's just constant. I, and I have a lot of kids, okay? So, like, it never stops, right? There's no snooze. Some of y'all, have, some of y'all were smart and had one, right? Good work, Shuffields, right? Yeah, I got one kid. And there's probably plenty of complaining with one kid, right? But, 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 but stack them on top of each other six high, and you don't get away from it, right? Some of y'all are the youngest of, like, 17 kids, right? I've heard some of your stories. I'm like, man, I feel for your parents. But, but the idea, right, that God is dealing with here, it's not that God is tired. Right? To understand the character of God, we have to understand that God, just as an entity, doesn't get tired. You get tired. Right? You get wore out. You have to take a nap. Like After this sermon, I promise you, if you were to call me at 1.30 this afternoon, you will be waking me up from a nap. Okay? So just know, if you think it's worth calling me at 1.30, it has to be worth waking me up from my nap. Okay? So like if something, someone dies or you really need something, I will rouse myself from my slumber and go support you. But, like, I get tired. If this, by the way, this, like, 30 minutes of me talking is, is some of the most exhausting things that I do. It's, it's amazing to me how empty I am when I'm done. So, like, if you talk to me after the service and you're like, man, I, I'm kind of shot, right? <laughs> I don't have a lot to give back to you. And so, like, I'm sorry after the service. I'm just not, I'm not, I'm not as sharp as I was before. I just threw all this at you um, for, for, for 20 or 30 minutes. But, 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 you know, I get tired. You get tired. God doesn't actually get tired. God doesn't need a nap, right? God doesn't have to go to bed and wake up, right? He, he, he's not made like us. He, he doesn't experience fatigue, but he does experience getting fed up with you. Right? Like I get fed up with things. That, that's the same idea. Like when, when it says God is wearied by these people, it's not that God is just like, I can't get out of bed got to face another day of this. No, God's like, I am sick and tired of your whining. I've had enough. I've told you this. I've told you this. This is what's going to happen. And they've wearied the Lord, and they're insulting who God is. Because not only is God a God who can't get tired, if we have a good theology and understanding of who God is, we know that God is good and just. Right? He does the right thing all the time. By the way, if God does it, it's right. That's hard to wrap our heads around sometimes, because sometimes we look at stuff and we're like, I don't like that. If God does it, it's right. And if you don't like it, you're wrong. Right? It's just, it's, it's that simple. Now, now, now like, we, we have sometimes to deal with those issues inside of ourselves. I'm not, I'm not trying to minimize some of the areas where you might have struggles with how God has acted specifically in Scripture. But God is always right, and then God is always just. He's never unjust. He's never unfair. He is exactly a just, good, right loving, never tired God. It's who he is. If he was something else, he would cease to be God. He'd be a demigod or some other minor God, and there has to be a God above him who has true divine characteristics. That is not the case. Our God is just, and so when these people go to him and they impugn his justice, like you you yourself, God, you don't hold people responsible for doing what's wrong. In fact, you think that bad things are good things. They start throwing stones at God and assaulting God's character. God gets 
tired of it. And, and I don't, I don't want to put God into me, right? But right, well, that's a weird saying. I don't want you to think that God responds just like people respond to situations. But I do want you to think for yourself. When you're fed up with someone and then they keep doing that same thing, does it work out for that other person very well? Right? If your kid has wore you out, can I have a cookie? No. Can I have a cookie? No. Can I have a cookie? No. You're not allowed to have a cookie. Don't ask me again. Can I have a cookie? Right? At some point, right, the kid's going to lose a hand. That's just what's going to happen. Right? They're not going to be able to ask for another cookie because they're going to be like, you know, trying to keep, keep bleeding all over the ground. Right? Right? At some point, when we get fed up, we're like, this has gone from like a simple like redirect. Uh, my wife and I have gone through a lot of uh, trauma-based relational interventions. TBRI, it's how you deal with uh, kids who've experienced trauma in their lives. Um, it's part of the adoption foster world that we live in. Um, and, and so a lot of that, that is like to help kids who have experienced um, really serious nonsense, like just garbage in their lives. And to help understand where they're coming from, like the background behind it, not to respond to the behavior in front of you, but to kind of help redirect them towards a, a better pathway and to help their brain. Really, you're trying to retrain the brain to make better connections between point A and point B, right? Instead of going through like crazy lizard brain to get somewhere better um, there. And, and so like we do a ton of redirects in my house, a ton of that, but there comes a point where like all of my training is gone, right? And I, and I, and I, I know it. Like I know how I should respond according to the book, The Connected Child by Karen Purvis. Right, I know how I should respond, but, but I, I can't I, inside of myself. And so then I explode and I, and I behave in a way that, that, that's not in the best interest of that child. And I'm like, I'm not good, right? Like, I'm really not. Uh, yeah, I, I'm not. But like, so I, I explode, I behave in a way. And so then I have to remove myself from that situation because if I stay there, it's only going to get worse. And guys, when you get fed up, right, there, there's a natural consequence to come there. And God's getting fed up with people. God gets fed up with sin repeatedly throughout scripture this is a true story of who god is there comes a point when your sin reaches like a, a, a tipping point for god right and the full measure of sin has been measured up and then god's like and i'm done god is a forbearing god right and forbearance is a term that's got some play recently due to the coronavirus right your your bank if you have a mortgage um you can call them and you can get forbearance on your mortgage. Um, and I don't know how long it is. Don't take me for legal advice. I think it's six months, something like that. But really, don't, don't listen to me for legal advice on your mortgage, okay? Basically, you can call your bank and say, hey, due to this surrounding situation here right now, I can't pay my mortgage right now. And they will not foreclose on your house and kick you out because there's a period of forbearance. Right? Now, that's not forgiveness, that's not that they're like, oh, you don't owe us that. We're just going to write that off as like a, a loss on our profit and loss sheet at the, end of the, at the end of the year. You're fine. Don't pay your mortgage this year. No, your mortgage keeps going, right? You keep having to pay it, but they're not, there's no consequences immediately for that. You're able to push the consequences out. God is a God that is forbearing in our sin. And that's for our good so that hopefully we can come to repent of our sins before the note is due before the time of forbearance is over, right? And then we can live in the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. But if we don't, then we live under the judgment of a good, just God. 
And God is a forbearing God, but there is a limit to God's forbearance. He will not allow sin to go on forever and ever and ever. And in fact, he gets wearied of you trying to do that. Some of you today have been walking down the same sinful path that you've been on for months. And you keep going the same way and you're not experiencing any, any really negative consequences here for it. You're like, well, I guess I'm just getting away with it. And you're going to continue down that path. There's going to come a point where you have reached the level of God has had enough with that nonsense. And you're going to experience justice. Now, I want to warn you today as someone who loves you very much. Stop now. Just stop now. Repent. Go back to God. Because God is gracious and forgiving if we will ask. If we'll go to him in repentance. Changing our lives from what we were to what God has called us to be. He will forgive us, right? He's faithful and just forgive us our sins and all unrighteousness. That is the beauty of Jesus Christ. But for some of us, we live in God's forbearance. And we're just putting off judgment. But judgment is coming. These people are saying judgment's never going to come. And then Malachi chapter 3 begins in verse 1. And we see what God has to say about that. He says, Behold, I send my messenger... And he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he's like a refiner's fire, and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi, that's the priests, and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings and righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. And so these people are like, God, your judgment's not coming. You're, not, you're, you're letting evil and you're calling it good and you're not even showing up when you're supposed to show up. And God says, there will come a time when that will be enough. And this day that he's talking about is, a, is the day of the Lord. It is this time when God says, I will come back. The day of the Lord will come. You want to read about the day of the Lord? It's all throughout the Minor Prophets. There is tons of wonderful things to read about the day of the Lord. But here's what you need to know about the day of the Lord. It is a swift and terrible day. It is not a day uh, to look forward to. Because in that day, when God returns, he's coming back to judge the world. Christ came, right? The first coming of Jesus Christ came to make uh, a propitiation for our sins, to give us an opportunity to be forgiven for our sins, right? That, that was the, the purpose of the first advent of Jesus Christ. But there is a second coming that's coming. And when that second coming arrives on that day of the Lord, it is not a day of peace. It is not a day of hope. It is a day of judgment and terror. It is bad news for the world out there. And it is certain news. Some of us live our lives as if the second coming of Jesus Christ isn't a reality. Right? We live our lives as if uh, when Jesus came, like the stained glass window there, he was meek, mild, awesome, holding baby sheep. Like what a wonderful, awesome dude. But there's this second coming of Christ. And when he comes again, I mean, Revelation, right? He's coming with a sword in his mouth and slaying people. Like it's, it's a swift and terrible day. It is a day of judgment on a wicked, wicked world. God's forbearance will have been met. And on that day of the Lord, judgment 
will come. It is a certainty that judgment will come. The day of the Lord is entirely prophesied to come and will come to pass. And just so you know like where, where I stand, like, like that could be now. I, mean, I really, I, I'm not holding out for the next, like, oh, we got to have these 17 other steps before the second coming. It could be now. Right now, you may have some very specific views on end times, and you could be very, very right that maybe we've got to have half of a tribulation, or we've got to have a rapture, or maybe we've got to have a full tribulation, or whatever, wherever you fall on all the end time stuff. But I'm going to tell you what, like, as I look at the world with my messed up sense of justice, like, we should not be surprised to see Jesus Christ returning now. The world is rough and wicked, and his return is imminent. It's been imminent for the last 2,000 years, but it is imminent today. It is closer today than it was yesterday, and it could be tomorrow. And so with the knowledge of the day of the Lord, it is going to be a day when God is refining and purifying these pictures, is that he's taking the stuff that's all corrupted and messed up, and he's getting rid of all the corruption and messed up parts, and at the end of it, he has what he wants. Valuable silver, precious gold, the things that, 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 are, that, are, that are purposeful for God. And the rest of it, is gone. It's not there anymore. The day of the Lord, it, it will arrive. But there are a lot of minor days of judgment that have happened. And if you've lived in sin, you've probably experienced a day of the Lord in your life, a minor day of the Lord where there was a reckoning for the sins that you thought wouldn't be exposed. Right? You committed these sins, you thought that you were okay, and then it explodes, right? And all of a sudden you're dealing with broken relationships in your family, broken relationships in your work, broken marriages, whatever it is. Right? But there was a moment when, you're, when, when God's forbearance ran out personally for you. There's a worldwide calamity that's going to come when God's forbearance is reached worldwide. But there's a personal forbearance as well for each and every one of us. Some of us experience many of those. My prayer for you, like it was earlier, guys, is that you will learn to lean into the God who is forgiving through Jesus Christ. And stop living for yourself. Right? And if God is forgiving, and if there's a way to avoid this great and terrible day of the Lord, if there's a way to avoid the judgment uh, that, that's going to befall the rest of the earth, and I know that there is through Jesus Christ, that Christ made a way for us to be saved, then we should be telling others about it. The song, Send the Light. We should be sending that light out because the world needs that. They need that more than they need another weather update from you, right? Man, man, it's been hot. Well, yes, it has. Oh, man, we got some rain. Yes, yes, we did. Could you use some more? Yes, yes, we could. We could use some more. They don't need that from you. What your neighbor needs from you is to know that Jesus Christ loves them, died for them, and desires to bridge the gap between their wickedness and God's holiness so they can experience life eternal. That's what your neighbor needs. You can give them a carton of eggs if they need that too, but they need to know Jesus Christ. And until we as the church really understand that, that it's imminent, the return of Jesus Christ, we will continue to be lazy in our evangelistic zeal. And I think that's true of who we are. We're lazy. Because we don't really buy it. I mean, Jesus is 
supposed to have been returning for the last 2,000 years. What's special about the year 2020? First of all, that's a question you shouldn't ask. This year's. This year's a mess, but, right? He's supposed to have been returning for all this time. He still isn't here. But guys, forbearance, forbearance, forbearance. But there comes a day when the note is due. There's no reason to think that the note isn't going to be due now. Your family member that doesn't know Jesus Christ needs to hear the gospel again. They might have heard it a million times. You need to share it with them again. With love, with grace, to tell them, right, there is danger ahead. And I have to rescue you from that danger. I always have to try. Rescue the perishing, care for the dying, right? That's what we're supposed to do. And there is a slew of people in your life, people you know and care about, not even just strangers. There's just plenty of those too who need Jesus Christ. The day of the Lord is coming. It will come. It is certain to come. And because of that, we have to tell people. We have to tell people that it's coming. But there's a way to escape it because Jesus Christ made the way because he's so great. Right, that's the story we have to go. And then I'm going to read verse 5 here. It says, says, then, God continues to speak, then I will draw near to you for judgment. And I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, the adulterers, those who swear falsely, against those who oppress their hired workers and his wages, the widow, uh, that the, means they oppress the widow and they oppress the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me says the Lord of hosts, right? And, and the idea here is God is speaking directly to the nation of Israel. He says, look, like there are some specific crimes inside of your world that you need to be aware of. And for the church, these are things we need to be aware of too, right? There's some specific things that we need to be aware of because God's judgment is coming. So we need to prepare ourselves for the arrival of that coming king. And what we need to do is we need to make his kingdom look like what he wants it to look like. And the things that God doesn't want around the people who claim to be followers of his, claim, claim to be part of his kingdom, that where Jesus is Lord, right, is that we should not be people who practice sorcery. By the way, how many of you in here practice sorcery recently? Doing good, guys. Good work. Okay, good work. By the way, it gets harder as this, as this test goes forward. But most of us don't have our little crystal ball in there, and we're not throwing eye of newt into a bowl, right? Most of us are doing okay on the sorcery side of things. But then, against, it's like against adulterers. I don't want to get into that too deeply right now. Adultery is anytime you have relations with someone that's not your wife, right? Adultery can happen before you're, before you're married, if you're going to get married, right? Because then, what you're doing is you're carrying previous sexual relationships. And I'm just saying right now, a lot of us out there, if we're honest with ourselves and where we've been and who we've been with, some of us have done some things that we should not and are not proud of. Right, and that's not part of God's kingdom. We should speak against that. By the way, we used to rail against those things, right? We used to be pretty, pretty adamantly against those things. But adulterers is something we shouldn't be. Some of you are like, that is not me as well. I got married. I got married at 19. That's, that's a good age to get married at, by, by the way. I got married at 19, faithful to my wife the whole time. Man, I'm, I'm, I'm home run hitter. No sorcery, no adultery. Some of you right now aren't batting a thousand like I am, but I'm looking really good. But then things get worse, right? It doesn't get better for me. Those who swear falsely. This is anyone who makes a promise that they don't keep. Now all of a sudden I'm like, well, now, I, mean, I say a lot of words. And I can't promise that every word I've ever said has been the most well-intentioned word that I've said. I mean, I wish it were, but that's not, that's not true of me. So now I'm like batting 66%. Some of you are batting 33%. 
Some of you maybe still be batting a thousand, but at some point I think that you're just self-righteous. Okay, continuing on. All right. God's kingdom doesn't have people who oppress the hired worker. That means we pay what we're supposed to pay to the people that we're supposed to be paying. Right? If we have someone working for us, we don't cheat them. We don't, we don't exploit them. We don't look for ways to get over on them. We pay them what's due. Some of you are like, I have been the oppressed hired worker. I know what it's like to be on that side. Right? But, but God's kingdom is a kingdom of justice and fairness. So when we enter into a relationship with someone, we treat them like we want to be treated. That golden rule mentality goes there. We also take special care to take care of those people who are helpless and struggling. The widow, the orphan, and the sojourner. Widow's pretty straightforward. These are, and in this day and age, if you were a widow, you couldn't have access to all sorts of financial incentives, right? Like now, if you're a widow, you could be better off than you were when you were married, right? You could, like I have an investment portfolio that's growing and whatever. Um, but in that day, it was a, a place of pure vulnerability. You didn't have anyone making money for you. Your property wasn't even in your name. And so like you were truly in a terribly vulnerable position. God's kingdom should take care of those people in vulnerable positions. Likewise, we should take care of the orphan, right? We should care for those who don't have families. I, I mention this anytime I talk about orphans, but guys, my own county, the county that we live in, most of all of us, some of you might, might push somewhere else, but I think most of you are in my own county. Um, my own county, the county we live in, there are not enough foster homes in my own county to handle the number of kids in foster care in my own county. There's not. We take kids from my own county, we pick them up, we ship them to Bryan College Station, we put them in foster homes in Bryan College Station. Because we don't have adequate homes for those kids. Not everyone should be a foster parent, right? I, I definitely think that's true. Doc, you'd agree with that, right? Not everybody should do that. Um, but if you have like that sense in your mind of like, we could do that. Right? God calls us to care for those. And even if you're not personally bringing them into your home, you need to care for the people who are bringing them into your home. Right? Your neighbors who are watching their, or are caring now for their grandkids, right? who have taken their grandkids in to be their children. Well, we care for those people because they're doing the work that is part of God's kingdom, caring for the vulnerable, the orphaned out there. There's ways to get involved in orphan ministry. By the way, like I mentioned like at the very beginning, State mission offering, Mary Hill Davis, some of that money goes to support the Baptist Children's Homes. Uh, South Texas Children's Home, um, Starry Ranch, there's about 15 of them um, that, that, that we support as, as Baptists. Um, so your money goes to help support that even if you didn't know it. Um, but we should be caring for the widow, the orphan, the hireling, and also the sojourner. Sojourners are people who don't belong here. People who don't belong here. I'm not going to get into illegal immigration and what your, your takes are on illegal immigration because honestly, like, I can't think of a, a, a less productive conversation I could have with you guys right now. I guess maybe we talk about presidential elections. That might be less fruitful. But, like, there are people, real people, who are here who don't belong here. Rockdale, Texas. And by don't belong here, I mean they're not from here. They don't have any basis here and they have no one to care for them here. Some of you have been in Rockdale for a long time, and you have watched what has happened up and down 79, right? And, and, I, and I hear people, and they say they're driving down 79, and they see people, and they say, I don't know where these people came from. I have no idea where these people came from. They're not from here. Like, for you, personally, those are our sojourners. They didn't belong here. They ended up here by chance. 
happenstance or some other reason. And we care for them. There was a woman who lived in Florida. She was like a snowbird. She would go down to Florida in the winter, go back to Minnesota in the summer. I only know her by phone calls and emails. But her son ended up in Rockdale, Texas. How, I'm still a little sketchy on how he ended up in Rockdale, Texas. But uh, she was desperate. She wanted her, her, he had some health issues. He had some problems. He was desperate. And so she just called the Baptist church in Rockdale. And she got me on the phone and we talked for a while. And she said, can you go check on my son? And he's probably older than I am, I would, I would assume. And, and I said, oh, yeah, sure. Um, I can go check on him. Where's your list? She gave me his address, by the way. It was in what, what I've been all over Rockdale. Feed Rockdale has taken me. I don't think there's a street in Rockdale, Texas that I haven't driven on. Um, I've been on all of them. I really believe that. Now, maybe, maybe there's a street, just a couple houses, but really I've been all over. Um, this is, in my opinion, the worst part of Rockdale, Texas. Um, it's, it's a small little group of uh, houses that are really struggling. It's just, it's just tough. I went there right about sunset, so it was getting dark. Um, and uh, I went up to his door. And, I mean, his door had been spray-painted with F-bombs and all sorts of other harsh things about him. Obviously, he had made some people mad. And they had attacked his, his little shack that he was staying in. Knocking on the door, knocking on the door, knocking on the door, knocking on the door. No answer. Go back home. Fast forward two weeks. That lady calls me up and says, hey, were you able to go talk to my son? I said, I tried. I banged on the door. She said, you know, he, I talked to him. He heard you. He was scared that someone was coming to get him. So he didn't answer the door. She said, but he is starving. He's feeding his dog and not feeding himself. He's literally starving to death. Can you bring him some food? Sure. Go to Walmart, pick up Easy Mac or whatever, just some cheap food, probably spent less than $20. Went back to the same place, knocked on the door, knocked on the door, knocked on the door, no answer again. Left the bag on the door, put my business card in the bag. Said, okay. I get a call two days later or so from this mom. Thank you so much for caring for my son. I didn't know anybody. He didn't have anyone. He was scared. And you saved his life. She truly believes I saved his life with Easy Mac and whatever. Maybe, maybe I don't know how, how bad off he was. I've never seen, even now, I've never seen this man. He's made his way back to his mom. His mom was finally able to get him back home with her. Um, and, and I pray that situation works out. But there are people in this town, they're not from here, they, they came here by accident, and they're stuck here. And they need us. And so instead of looking at them as outsiders, as mooches, as people who are abusing the system, as people who are corrupting our city, because a lot of these people, by the way, who've ended up in Rockdale, Texas, have ended up in Rockdale, Texas for the exact wrong reasons. Right? The exact wrong reasons. Instead of looking at them as drug users who are, who are destroying our town, we look at them as image bearers of Jesus Christ, sojourners in our land, and we treat them with responsibility. Right? We do not, as Malachi say, thrust aside the sojourner. We care for them. And that means opening our hearts up and saying, you know what? I'm going to live for these other people. I really believe there are two types of people in this world when it comes down to how we relate to other people. There are closed-fisted people and open-handed people. And a lot of us are naturally closed-fisted people. We don't want to give to anyone else because that means we don't have, and someone has to earn it, and then we'll give it to them. 
And it may not be hard to earn it, but you've got to earn it a little bit. You've got you to show me something before I give to you. But God has called us to be open-handed people. Hold our hand out and give to people freely, without any strings attached, knowing that we have no control when we give. We give because God has called us to give. We care for those people who God has called us to care. And hopefully we build relationships with people. Because those people who are in our town, the sojourner in our town, guys, they need us to know them. Because they just end up here. I was doing Feed Rockdale canvassing last year in one of the RV parks. That's a weird feature, by the way, of our town. RV parks where people live full time. Um, but but um, that does not exist in the suburbs, just so you know. As someone who came out of suburban Houston, that doesn't exist in the suburbs. But I um, was going around and knocking on uh, you know, trailer doors, RV doors, and uh, met a young lady pregnant with her second kid, just had her first one like, I don't know, eight months before that, so she didn't have back-to-back kids pretty close together. And, you know, she just ended up here. Her and her husband just ended up here, and they're trying to figure it out. And there's nothing wrong with them, but they're just trying to figure out what they're going to do. Their family's growing, and their trailer is only so big. There's a lot of people like that. So we give open-handed to people. Nothing, no expectation in return. And we trust that God will do what's right. Because you know what? God, God is just. He'll do what is just. He doesn't need us to be the bearers of his justice. He needs us to be kingdom-minded citizens. Which means we care for the people and we prepare the way for the king. Because the king is coming. And I want him, when he comes, to look here and to say, hey, this place is already prepared for me. Because my people have been working to make it look like my kingdom here on earth. God is coming as justice is real. He is just. He will judge. You don't have to do it. But if you're living outside of the will of God, I want you to know judgment is coming. If that's you today, I want you to repent. Some of you may never have entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ. You can enter into a relationship with Jesus today. It's painless. Simple. Acknowledge your sin, your offense against God. Right? Believe in Jesus Christ. Cry out to God for forgiveness, and you will be saved. I would love to help you with that. I'll be down here in just a minute for us to hand an invitation. I would love to help you with that. Maybe you want to join a church. Maybe you want to get involved with a church that's trying to, like, be kingdom citizens. Guys, we are not a perfect church. There may be better churches in Rockdale, Texas, than First Baptist Rockdale. Right? There may be. Uh, I do not hold us up as the best of all time because I know your pastor really well. He's a son of a gun, right? He's got good things about him, but he's he's got some other stuff too. I'm a broken person, crooked stick, trying to make straight paths. God's good to do that, though. I don't understand it, how God makes straight paths from crooked sticks. But if you want to join a church that's striving, that's all I can promise you. We're going to strive to be like Jesus Christ. We're going to strive next week to be closer to Jesus Christ than we were this week. We're going to keep doing that until Jesus comes back. You can join us. I'd love to have you join us in that effort to be more Christ-like. And maybe at some point, your son-of-a-gun pastor will will, will be a little better. Maybe. I'm holding out hope for that, by the way. I really am, just so you know. Um, We're going to have an invitation. I want you to move as God calls you to do. Let me pray.